0: Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Such a special thing to be able to gather together with one another as a church on Christmas Eve and just sing these Christmas songs. There's just there's so much truth in these songs and it's, it's kind of sad we only get to sing them around Christmas time. You know, we could sing them year round, I guess that'd be just a little weird, but I just, I love hearing the Christmas songs, uh, just thank you to all who did special music, it was really beautiful and uh, it was glorifying to God. Well our text, John chapter 1, uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18, uh, kind of reading the prologue to the gospel of John. So tomorrow is the big day, tomorrow is Christmas, just a few hours away of uh, Hopefully, you've done all your Christmas shopping. You don't have to go out tonight to Walmart because it's going to be chaos. Uh, Parents are probably going to be wrapping gifts late at night tonight. Uh, People are going to be cooking meals, getting things ready for Christmas parties tomorrow. Kids are going to be, you know, just can't hardly go to sleep. They're going to be so excited uh, for Christmas morning. Christmas is such an amazing time to be with family. It's a great, fun time. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, uh, for those of us who know who Jesus is, there's something so much better than all those things. Uh, it's the reason why we've gathered tonight. is because of what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus did by coming to this earth uh, to be born of a virgin. And I think most of us in here uh, would readily say Christmas is about Jesus. I mean, after all, y'all are in church on Christmas Eve, Uh If you ride around town, no doubt you see nativity scenes all over the place. You see crosses and the Christmas lights. People are aware that Christmas is about Jesus. I mean, he's in the name of the holiday. But then we have to ask the question is, who really is the Jesus that's in the manger? Who really is the Jesus that came to this earth 2,000 years ago? Uh, Who is the baby that was born in the stable in Bethlehem? Does your heart overflow with joy and praise when we think about who Jesus is, when we think about why he came to this earth? I think it can be easy for us to forget or to lose sight of the Christmas story because we hear it every year. Uh, We talk about it every year. We're familiar with the passages that the different people read. You know, it's almost ingrained into our heads for many of us because we've heard it since we were children. You know, that's a great thing. That's an awesome thing that people are aware of what Christmas is about. But tonight, my hope with looking at this passage in John is that we will all have a greater desire to praise and to worship Jesus for who he really is. Uh, To worship him for being our Savior, not just in this season, not just in this Christmas time, but really in our entire lives. You know, it's not just Christmas that uh, Jesus is about its our entire lives, everything is about Jesus. So in this passage, we're going to see three assertions about Jesus that we must know and believe, that Jesus is the eternal God, the anticipated light, and He is the incarnate Word. So John chapter 1, we'll read through our passage, and I'll open with a word of prayer. So follow along with me in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. In other this fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Would you please bow with me as we open Uh, begin with prayer. Father, we bow before you tonight uh, just praising you for this privilege, this opportunity to be able to gather on Christmas Eve. Lord, what a joyful and awesome time it is just to celebrate the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the love, for the grace you have lavished us with in Christ. Lord, we praise you that Through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Through Christ, we can have our relationship with you restored. And through Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. So Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word, your name would be magnified, that the gospel would be clear, And Lord, you would just speak through me, you would use me, help me not to add or take away anything from your word. So Lord, we commit all these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So chapter one, beginning in chapter one, the first The first point I mentioned earlier, the first assertion, is that Jesus is the eternal God. Look at verse 1. It says, verse 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So John begins his gospel straight up with the deity of Christ. He wants to be clear who Jesus Christ is. He wants to be clear that Jesus Christ is God. He always has been Uh, the word there used, uh, the word, is a name for Jesus. And that's unique to John. He uses that later on in 1 John and in Revelation. And the the reason he uses that is because Jesus Christ is the revelation, is the full expression of God. Uh, So the question we have to ask uh, is, why is John writing this? Because John is the last of the four Gospels to be written. He wrote this at a later date. Uh, It's possible he had all the other three Gospels. Uh, available to him when he was writing this. So why is John choosing to write another gospel? Is he thinking Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't do a good enough job, so he has to come and uh, write again? Well, John actually tells us in John chapter 20, uh, if you want to flip over there real quick, John tells us why he writes the gospel, uh, this gospel of Jesus Christ. So John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 John says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So John is very clear that Jesus Christ is fully God. uh, Co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. So, in the beginning of verse 1, we see that phrase in the beginning. And if we're familiar with the Bible, we know that phrase is somewhere else. It's in the beginning of the Bible. Very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Uh, but this passage says, in the beginning was the Word. So even before creation, before God created the earth, before God created everything we see around us, Jesus existed. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, they all existed in unity before creation. So before time and space and matter, there was only God. God has always existed. Jesus has always existed. He's not the first creation. He's not the greatest creation, but Jesus Christ is God. Uh, We serve a triune God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes when we you know, try to wonder and think about what was happening before creation, you know, before time existed, what was going on? Well, there was there was only God and God wasn't bored. God wasn't lonely because he had himself, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in unity and love. God didn't have to create us because he was lonely. God didn't have to create us because he needs our worship to be happy. Uh, God was perfectly uh, satisfied in himself. He chose to create. He chose to create us. And so that is a foundational truth to Christianity, the Trinity. And so to deny Christianity, to deny the truth of the gospel, one must deny the deity of Christ. Uh, If you've taken a history class or know people, skeptics, uh, they're quick to admit Jesus was in fact a real person. That is a historical fact. Uh, but most people, most belief systems deny the deity of Christ. Muslims teach he was the greatest prophet, of one of the holiest prophets to ever live. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that he was the first and the greatest creation. Historians and socialists believe that he was an incredible teacher. That was, you know, brilliant. His belief system is still followed today, but he had a tragic death, and that was the end of it. Many people who claim to be Christians Think that Jesus exists to make their lives easier. Uh, Many people believe Jesus is God, but that He's just mostly loving. You know, He's not, we don't think about His holiness, we don't think about His commands. He's just loving. Whatever I want to do, God is okay with it. Uh, Many people would confess Jesus is God, but His commands are just more of a suggestion, more of things we teach to our kids, but they don't really hold any weight. They're not that important. And there are some who do know who Jesus is, that He is God, but they have not submitted to Him because they would rather continue in their sin. They would rather serve themselves. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. That's, That's a good thing. That's a good start. But the devils also believe and tremble. It's not enough to just believe the facts. It's not enough to just believe that, yeah, there was a, Nativity scene somewhere and a child named Jesus was born and uh, that's it. It's not enough just to know who God is. And if the reality of who Jesus really is and what he's done for you, uh, it doesn't make you tremble. You're not in awe of who God is. Uh, you need to ask yourself, do I really know who Jesus is? This is what we're celebrating this season, what we're going to be celebrating in Easter, what we celebrate every Sunday when we gather, Do you feel something? Do you have a desire to worship God, to gather together with other believers in Christ? Do you have a desire to serve God, to obey His commands? Those are all marks of someone who truly knows who Jesus is. Uh, Do you know, do you recognize that Jesus, the helpless babe in the feeding trough, the man that walked to this earth, is the almighty, all-powerful, holy God? Don't fall for the false teaching that you can think however you want about who Jesus is. Don't fall for the lie that Jesus is there just to make your dreams come true. What you believe about Jesus will determine how you live your life, and it will determine where you're going after death. So in verse 3, moving on in the passage, we see that Jesus uh, is the creator. Verse 3 says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, Jesus is the one who created everything in the beginning. Jesus was not created himself, but he is, in fact, the one who created. And when we think about creation, you know, all the things around us that we see, uh, it's evidence of the power, the knowledge, the beauty, the creativity of our Savior, of Jesus. The universe is a very vast place. Do you ever take time just to walk outside and just look around at nature? maybe on a clear night, you know, you just look up in the sky and you see the stars of uh, just how big the universe is. You know, and we study it in science and we learn about all the planets and things like that. And it's just it's it's almost beyond comprehension how big the universe is. God created all of that. Jesus created the entire universe of uh, the the diameter of the universe, uh, scientists say, is around ninety three billion light years. That means it would take you 93 billion years traveling the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Put that into perspective. Quicker than you can blink your eye, you would have been around the world once. So it would take you 93 billion years to get from one side of the universe to the other. Well, why did God create all that? Because He could. He's that powerful. He just There's no limit to His power. And so I would, I would challenge you, if you're a Christian, take time just to be still Think about who God is, how amazing He is, and we see that in His creation. You know, take time to step away from the entertainment, the phone, and just walk outside and look around, and just be in awe of God's creation, be in awe of who God is. When we see creation, it should motivate us to worship our God. God created everything we see around us, and He created me, and He created you specifically. He knows all of our names in this room. He knows... Everything about you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through right now. He knows what's going to happen in your life a year from now. Uh, God is a personal God. and He desires to have a relationship with you. He is a God that we can trust because He's the one who created us and loves us and He knows exactly what we need. Only Jesus can truly satisfy the desires, the longings in your heart because He's the one that put them there. He's the one who created you with that heart. Our response to Jesus being the eternal God should be to praise and to worship Him, to be in awe of Him, to come and adore Him. And so Jesus is the eternal God. The next assertion uh, we see from the text in the following verses is that Jesus is the anticipated light. Uh, Look at uh, John verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. So in Christ is life, and the life is the light of mankind. We said earlier, Christ is the revelation of God. He reveals who God is, and He brings life to the dead. And just as a light reveals the darkness, it pushes it away, Christ reveals our need of a Savior. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible is clear over and over again that we are sinners in rebellion against God. Every single one of us. None of us in here have kept the entire law perfectly. We've all failed in some way or another. We've broken the Ten Commandments and we've sinned against God by wanting to serve ourselves rather than Him. We are naturally uh, the enemies of God. Uh, As soon as we can make choices, we choose to disobey God. We choose to serve ourselves. We want to be in control. We want to be the God of our lives. And when we read through later on in John, when Jesus walks through the Ten Commandments, he takes them to the next level, uh, saying it's in the heart. You know, you may not have murdered somebody, but how often do we hate somebody? How often do we wish somebody would just go off and we don't care what happens to them? Uh, that is murdering them in our heart. And the point of that is Jesus saying nobody has kept the law, nobody can earn their way to God. Uh, God's word is clear that the payment for sin against God is death. That's because God, the God that we're talking about, the God of Scripture, is a holy God. If we don't think sin is a big deal, if sin is just something we just laugh at, scoff at, then we don't understand how holy God is. God is so holy that our sin demands His wrath. No matter how little we may view our sin, it doesn't matter. God is a holy God and He hates sin. Uh, Jesus comes to this earth and Jesus reveals that Nobody is perfect except God. But Jesus is. Jesus lives his life without sin. The baby that came grows up and he lives his life. He never thinks an evil thought. He never lusts. He never murders. He never hates. He lives his life perfectly. Yet, if we know the story or familiar, we know that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. How could something so awful happen to somebody that's so perfect? Somebody that truly didn't deserve it? Well, it's because Jesus willingly went to the cross on my behalf. He willingly went to the, on the cross on your behalf. Because we're not good enough. Because we can't earn our way to heaven. We only deserve God's wrath. Yet in His love, God the Father sent Jesus to live the perfect life we never could. And because Jesus is God, He could not sin. And because He was fully man. He could die in our place as our representative on the cross. And that is our only hope for forgiveness. That is our only hope that our relationship can be restored to God. We can't earn it. Ephesians 2, 8-9 through says, For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is why in Jesus there is life, because it is only by turning to Him from sin and trusting in Him to save you from your sins, that you can have everlasting life, that you can have a relationship with God. You can be born again, and God will give you a new heart that desires to serve Him. In Jesus, there is victory. Jesus died on the cross, and three days later, He rose again, triumphing over death and sin. In verse 5, we see that the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness could not overcome Jesus. And in Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. And one day we too will be raised with Him for all eternity. Everything else will fade away. Sin, while it's good, while it's pleasurable for a season, it might be pleasurable for your whole life, it will fade away. One day you will die and sin will not satisfy. It will leave you wanting. Turn to Christ today. He's never going to fail you. And He's always going to supply everything you need, both in this life, and for the eternity to come. So, moving into our uh, the next, or uh, moving into the next subpoint under the light, uh, Jesus is the light revealed, and He is the light proclaimed. We're going to see that in verses six through eight. So, verse six says, "There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light." So this isn't John, the author of the Gospel. This is John the Baptist. Uh, And he preached that the light of mankind would come to bring life to all those who believe. Uh, If you want to read more about John the Baptist, you can read his story in Luke 1, verses 13-17. through Uh, We're not going to take time to turn there tonight. But God sent John the Baptist to prepare the hearts of Israel for the Savior to come, for the King who would be coming. Uh, Our eyes are naturally blind Jesus. They're naturally blind to who God is. As I mentioned before, we do not naturally desire Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. God has to come and work in our hearts. God has to come and knock on the door of our hearts so that we can see ourselves as we truly are before God. Wicked sinners need to be saved. There's no saving ourselves. It's only uh, if God comes and works in our hearts. And so John the Baptist proclaimed Christ. He taught that Christ was coming. And just as John the Baptist did, our lives should proclaim Christ. If you're in here tonight and you call yourself a Christian, you say you're a believer in Christ, you've been born again, are you telling other people about Jesus? Are you sharing the good news that Christ has done in your heart? If we've understood what Jesus has done for us, that He came, that He died, He didn't deserve it, but He willingly and loved Gave his life for ours. That should naturally overflow in our hearts. To We should desire to tell other people about the gospel. When you hear really good news, when you get the good doctor's report, you don't keep that to yourself. You go out and you share it. You can't wait to tell other people about it. How much more should we share the best news anyone could ever hear? The only hope for the loss that Jesus can save them. How can we keep it to ourselves? What is stopping you from telling others about Jesus? Is it Fear of rejection? Is it lack of faith that God can save someone? We must remember that we're called to point others to Christ, and Christ is the one who does the saving. We're just the messengers. We just tell them what Christ has done. We can tell them, give our own testimony, what Christ has done in my life, how He saved me. Uh, It's not our presentation of the gospel that saves someone. Whenever I'm afraid to share the gospel with somebody, because I think I might jumble my words up, they might ask a question. I don't know. I just feel like I can't talk about Jesus for whatever reason. That shows I'm putting more faith in my words than the one who can actually melt the heart of stone, turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It is only Jesus that brings hope. It is only Jesus that brings purpose and life. He's so good, and we can't keep that to ourselves. That should be the desire of every Christian in here, is to share the gospel. Uh, Jesus is the hope. He is the light. Uh, Moving on to verse 9-11, through we're going to see the light that was revealed, the light that was proclaimed, is now the light uh, that has been rejected. So beginning in verse 9, it says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So in this verse, it's not saying that every man that comes into the world receives salvation, but it does mean that Christ's work on the cross uh, Christ did die for the sins of the whole world. We see that in John 3.16, that whosoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Uh, the Bible is very clear that those who put their trust in Christ will be saved. Uh, it does not matter your race. does not matter your ethnicity, your political beliefs. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. Jesus' work on the cross is enough. There is no sin that is too great. There is no number of sin that's too many to undo what Christ did for you on the cross. Romans five, twenty through twenty one says Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. So we see the law we know we've sinned, we failed over and over again. But where sin abounded grace did abound did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus' work on the cross, it doesn't just save us a little bit. It doesn't just wipe away some of our sin, but it cleanses us entirely. We receive Christ's righteousness in exchange for our filthy rags that are sinful. Uh, Don't let guilt or shame keep you from running to Christ tonight. Run to Jesus and trust that He has already paid for your sins. He has dealt with them, and go to Him and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. The Bible promises that He will forgive you. He will forgive those that repent and confess of their sins. So now, Israel knows uh, John the Baptist is preaching. Uh, They know that the Savior is coming. So let's let's read on and see what happens. Uh, Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. You know, we would think with the king of kings coming, with the almighty God being born into this world, you would think a castle would be built. You would think the red carpet would be rolled out. You know, after all, when you know the presidents come, or celebrities, we everything is decorated, get it all fancy, so bring out the fine china kind of idea. But when Jesus comes, he didn't get the royal treatment. Uh, when Jesus came, he comes and he isn't born in a castle. He's not even born in a house. He's born in a stable, out by an inn in a little town called Bethlehem. That's just that's that's mind blowing. That the Son of God, the One who said, "Let there be light," they didn't have enough room for Him in the inn. There wasn't. It was it was an inconvenience that Jesus was coming. People weren't ready. People didn't want Jesus to come. King Jesus, uh, there was no space for Him. There was no desire for Him. Uh, And Jesus came out of love for us, out of compassion to save humanity, yet He's rejected by the world. Jesus loves us so much. He left His throne, and He took on the form of a servant. He became a man, and He was rejected by His own creation, and He died in your place so that you could be saved, so that you could be reconciled to God. What amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? That's just The mind-blowing part about Christmas is, Jesus, how could you come to save me? I wanted nothing to do with you. Yet, the one who should have been praised by all is rejected, all because he loves and he desires to have a relationship with you. So Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. So Jesus is the light that was rejected, but we're going to see in verses 12 and 13 that he is the light for those who believe. Uh, Look at verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So although the world rejects and continues to reject Jesus, the Bible is clear that those who believe are born again. Those who believe do receive life. Uh, In this passage we see that they become the sons and daughters of God. They are adopted into the royal family of God. What a privilege that by trusting in Christ, we're not only forgiven and reconciled, but we become heirs with Christ that can stand before God, forgiven because of Christ. With Christ, we can have true meaning and purpose in our lives. Nothing else can truly satisfy our desires like Jesus. There's many ways you can try. There's many different things you can try to satisfy the desires of your heart. You can try to fill those desires with family. With friends, with relationships, you can look to other people uh, to bring you meaning in life. Money, jobs, the American dream—you can spend your whole life chasing after that. That motivating you, longing for that success or that promotion or the the next paycheck. It could be popularity. Just thinking, if I could just go viral, if I could just be famous like those people I see online, I would then I would be happy. Uh, or you could try to fill it with substances, alcohol, and drugs. Something. Something to bring sense of meaning. Something to numb the sense of that something is missing. Uh, I've heard it put before. I uh, went to an addictions conference uh, in North Carolina one time. and uh, The guy phrased it, something along the lines of paraphrasing, but we're created with a hole in our hearts. And we try to fill it with different things and it doesn't work because it is a God-shaped hole. God created it there. He's the only one that can truly satisfy our desires. Uh all those other things, you know, not all those things are bad. You know, we think of family, friends, like praise God, thank God for families. Families are awesome. But they can't satisfy the desires of our hearts. Eventually as families move away, people grow up, people pass away, and one day all of us in here are gonna pass away. That's a guarantee, unless the Lord comes back. Are you ready to stand before God? Are you trusting in Jesus for salvation? One of the amazing things about being a Christian, about trusting in God to save you from your sins, is He gives you that relationship with Him. You have a relationship with God. And have you noticed as a Christian, probably some of you have been Christians a lot longer than I have, that Jesus truly does get sweeter as the days go by. You know, it's like the more you grow in the knowledge of God, the more you grow in your faith, that you just have a desire to thank God more. You see God more in your life. You see more of His blessings. You become more in awe of Him. God just becomes its like He's becoming bigger and bigger. And it's not that God is changing. God is unchanging. He cannot change. But our knowledge of Him, we begin to learn and grow in our knowledge of Him. And because God is infinite, He's always going to continue to amaze us. We're never going to stop being amazed at what Jesus has done for us. And that goes for in this life and for all eternity. There's never going to be a day in heaven where we get bored because there's never going to be a day in heaven where God doesn't stop just blowing our minds with how amazing He is. So continuing in verse 13, we see, uh, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We see that the new birth is not a physical one, but a supernatural one. That's why you hear the phrase, born again. You know, if you've ever had uh, somebody come up to you, that was kind of the, I feel like the older generation, they love to ask, "Are you? have you been born again? That was kind of my grandpa's thing. Have you been born again? And that's where we get that. Have you received the second birth? Uh, the supernatural birth from Christ. That's why salvation is God's work because he is the only one that can transform someone who is an enemy of God into somebody who loves and desires him. And God can save anyone. Anyone in this room, even that friend, co-worker, whoever it is, you have to work with or be around, you think there's no way they would ever desire God. There's no way they could ever change. God can change their heart. Uh, That's why we must be diligent in praying for those people. That's why we must be diligent in living and sharing the gospel with those people. We can't ever get to a place where we lose hope in somebody. Because that means we lose hope that God is the one who can save them. Our response to Jesus being the anticipated light is to first receive Him if you have not. Of As I mentioned earlier, salvation comes from God. You have to repent of your sins and turn to Him. Trust in Him for salvation. Trust in His sacrifice on the cross that it is enough. Good works can't restore your relationship with God. Good works can't get you to heaven. Coming to church every Sunday can't get you to heaven. Putting 50% of your paycheck in the offering box is not going to get you to heaven. No work can get you to heaven. Because we're sinners in God's eyes. It is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And one day, we will all stand before God. So are you, have you bowed the knee to Christ? Have you bowed the knee before Jesus and recognized that He is God? Because if you haven't, one day you will. Because the Bible says later on, I think it's in Philippians, that every mouth will be stopped. Every knee will bow. And Jesus' name will be exalted above every other name, whether it's at the great white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you haven't done that before, don't let another Christmas go by without receiving Jesus as your Savior. Life is so short. We're all just but a moment from eternity. You know, We don't like to think about that, but that's just the reality of life. Our time here is so short. Don't wait for Jesus. Don't wait to turn to Him. Don't say. Don't think you're going to do it later whenever you get your life in control. Don't think when you're older, when you have time, you'll go to church. Uh, that's something I hear a lot. People are too busy to come to church. They're too busy to serve God. They're too busy to get involved in church. And then the question, I think, is what are you too busy with? Now, I understand we all have lives, things going on, But what's going to matter in all eternity? What's going to matter when you breathe your final breath? It's not going to be how much money you made. It's not going to be how many friends you had. It's not going to be if you had a blue check mark beside your name. It's not going to be any of those things. All those things are going to pass away. It is only with Jesus we have the promise of eternal life. It's only with Jesus we can truly be satisfied for now and for all eternity. So I would beg you, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Make tonight the night you turn to Him. Stop pushing Him away. Stop rejecting Him. You feel the Holy Spirit convicting you. Don't push Him away, because uh, you might not have another chance. That's just the world, the life we live in. The uh, final assertion we're going to see tonight, in verses fourteen through eighteen, is that Jesus is the incarnated Word. Look at uh, chapter one, verses fourteen uh, through sixteen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have we all received grace for grace. Jesus, fully God, was made fully flesh, fully man. Jesus did not stop being God. He didn't stop, uh, get rid of His divine attributes. He took on humanity and He dwelt among men. It means Jesus, He got hungry, He felt tired, He laughed, He grieved, He slept, He experienced everything we feel, and He understands us and He knows us so well. Uh, Jesus is truly a God that we can go to with our burdens because He knows how we feel. It's not like some kind of distant authority we see in our world. You know, we think of Times in history, like the French Revolution, where there was the rich kings and the peasants, and there was just a disconnect where they hated each other. Or even in our, in our society today, you know, we have the politicians, the rich men, that they don't know how we feel, and if only they could understand what it's like in our shoes. Jesus walked in our shoes, He knew what it was like to be a man. Have you ever experienced loss? Have you ever experienced betrayal or abandonment? Jesus experienced all those things in a much greater magnitude than any of us could ever feel. He knows exactly how it feels, and we can take our burdens to Him in prayer, knowing that He's a God who understands our needs. Jesus took on the form of a man, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted, but He never gave in to sin. Fully God, fully man. And then we see that Jesus glorifies the Father. Uh, Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the physical member of the triune God. He is full of grace and truth. Uh, when we talk about the grace of God, we must talk about Jesus and what He's done for us. God showed His unmerited favor, meaning there's absolutely no reason we deserve anything good from God. God blesses us so much in our lives, yet in Jesus we see that He gives us His absolute very best. He gives us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And as we you know, approach Christmas time, on Christmas Eve... You know, we, want, we think of the birth of the Savior, and we sing these Christmas songs. We must praise and thank God for His marvelous grace in sending Jesus to save us from His wrath. In verse 16, we see that phrase, uh, we received and grace for grace. The idea there is we're just grace on top of grace. It's just piled onto us. Uh, kind of like the image of a waterfall. If any of y'all have ever been to a big waterfall, you know, the water just seems like it flows forever. There's no end to it. it. just eroded the rocks, and up there where we go to camp, you can actually swim up underneath the waterfall, and if you do, it kind of like knocks you out because the, the weight of the water is so strong. That's kind of the idea that God's grace is just overwhelms us. Like We begin to think about it, and we should just fall on our knees thanking and praising God for the grace we have in Jesus. Uh, the grace of God is evidenced by what Jesus has done for us. And then in verses 17 and 18, we see that the Word, Jesus, fulfills Scripture. Verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared Him. In the Old Testament, the law of Moses, everything we see, it sets the stage for this event, the coming of the Savior. Uh, We see those offices set up in the Old Testament, the kings, the priests, the judges, the sacrifices, they all point to Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ fulfills all those roles perfectly. He is the king who will reign forever. That's what Pastor Sam talked about this morning. It wasn't David. David, he messed up. He was a good king, but he died. Solomon, he was an awesome king at first, but he messed up and he died. Jesus will never mess up. Jesus is always going to reign, and Jesus will not die. Jesus is the eternal King of kings. Uh, He is the perfect and spotless sacrifice. Uh, We don't have to go and make a sacrifice every time we sin because Jesus is the perfect and spotless Lamb who died for the sins of the world. He was enough to cover all of our sins. And Jesus is the righteous judge who will one day judge the world, who one day we will all stand before and give an account. Uh, whether it's what we did for Christ as Christians or what we did in life as sinners. And I talked about this earlier, but those who have trusted in Christ, they have life, eternal life in Christ. They will live for all eternity in heaven with God, worshiping and serving their Savior. But those who live their life as they please, those who do not submit and bow the knee to Jesus, they will pay for their sin. The Bible is clear. The wages of sin is death. And then after death is the eternal separation from God in hell. The Bible describes it as a place of torment. Just really an awful thought. It's it's hard to even think about. But that is the reality for those who do not put their trust in Christ. That is the payment for their sin. That is their attempt to pay off the sins they've committed against God. So, again, Jesus is calling out tonight if anyone's in here. He's knocking on your door. Turn to Him. He will save you. Uh, turn to Him, repent of your sins, and Christ will forgive you. Uh, Christ is so much better than sin; He's so much better than anything else. Turn to Him today. And then, what I just read a second ago in verse eighteen, uh, John ends this prologue section. Really, as he started with verse one, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the full expression of God the Father. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time: that God Himself willingly came, He lived a perfect life so that our relationship with Him could be restored, so that our sins could be forgiven by His sacrifice on the cross. So as we get ready to continue, uh, as we get ready to go on with what we have planned for tonight, singing Silent Night, and really as you go on to Christmas Day, just continue to ponder on these things. Think about just and be in awe of what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has done for me. Praise God for Jesus Christ.